post-traumatic stress disorder in healthcare. What is it? How do we go about it? And what impact can it have on everybody else? It's Ewan and Mike. Welcome to The Imperfect Clinician. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Today we're talking about PTSD specifically in healthcare. Before we start, I think it's important to understand what trauma is. Tell me more. So trauma is, I mean, the definition is probably very long, but to be as brief as we can, it's essentially classified as witnessing events beyond a typical stressor. So that's something that is much more pronounced in intensity or also in length when it comes to generating stress in said person. Does it only in witnessing events? What's about experiencing it yourself? Experiencing events by all means. I mean, trauma can affect a lot of not only profession, but people in general. We could all be witness of uh, crime, killing, something that can leave a strong impact on us and that trauma can potentially lead further on down the line into post-traumatic stress disorder. I think it's worth to mention that PTSD does not affect everybody. It doesn't affect everybody who experiences trauma, but if it does, it can leave a significant mark on the individual and it's important to acknowledge that there is help available. Okay. And what are the professions that have high risk of PTSD? Essentially, we hear most about PTSD in context of military, Mm -hmm. because that's where it's most obvious and most pronounced. And you can see there is a lot of charities and specialists that deal with handling trauma in ex-soldiers or veterans in general. And I think because it's also in films and movies, so people perhaps have more awareness of it. Yeah, I think that this came to prominence. I mean, that was called in many different terms over the years. I mean, in the past, during the First World War, it was called be shell-shocked. Then you have got combat fatigue as well. I think in American literature, you can describe it as, but then as the years went on and we started to understand a little bit more about it, it doesn't necessarily have to do that much with combat in general. Yeah, It can be preceded by trauma of some kind, not necessarily military-related. But it also affects other uniform service people, such as police officers, firefighters, ambulance crews, also journalists, people who are war correspondents, for example. Also, which is not really that commonly mentioned, teachers as well, because you have to understand that the stressing agent can be present in their life over a longer period of time, and that can lead further down the line to PTSD. Okay, That also may affect rescue workers, so it includes, for example, volunteers that provide help or support after natural disasters, wars, you know, tsunamis, wildfires or earthquakes, shootings very often as well. I think it's important also not to forget victims of slavery, 
human trafficking, perhaps refugee, asylum seekers, hostages and abuse. Or victims of rape, for example. Yeah, Yeah, so any level of abuse that we're talking about here, whether it's sexual abuse, physical, emotional, including any bullying and harassment. And we want everybody to understand that, of course, we understand that the majority of PTSD research and PTSD treatment is directed to the military personnel or people in uniforms in general. But... I think it's worth recognizing that there were some research studies done on healthcare workers. And for example, here in the UK, PTSD is twice the rate of the general public. And that was presented in The Lancet Psychiatry. So I wonder why we are talking about specifically in healthcare today. We decided to talk about people in healthcare because they are closest to our hearts. And I think that knowledge about PTSD in healthcare and outside of the so-called emergency people who are involved directly in dealing with this immediate trauma, I think it's a little bit undiscovered and I think there is a potential for exploring it. And I believe that the more we're going to discuss it, the more support there's going to be available. Because if we are already noticing that there is a certain level of trauma and we notice that there is a lot of effort done to support the well-being of, for example, clinicians or people working in healthcare, whereas there is probably not enough systemic changes that would create the environment that's going to minimize that risk of exposure to trauma and the support can be discussed on a wider scale. There is something else that prompted us to have a little discussion about PTSD in healthcare. And it is the fact that very often people who are affected by traumatic events are still active professionally. They still work as doctors, paramedics, nurses, pharmacists in stressful environments, and they still make decisions about their patients, people who they care for, and those decisions can be impacted by their traumatic experience. So in that context, the effect as dramatic as it is for people in military, for example, and, and others, it may not necessarily be only limited to the individual or their family or family and friends. There is a real impact on people who need help, who are those most vulnerable, and people who are experiencing trauma themselves. So the support is essential for people who dedicate their lives to helping others. Yeah, and I think especially with COVID-19, the stress prior to COVID-19 was already high and significant, but COVID-19 added multiple layers of complexity to it and perhaps magnify the impact of trauma in the profession or and in also, healthcare and also in general. It, it brought a lot of professions together. I mean, there was all of a sudden need for 
retired doctors to go back into practice, to get people who weren't directly involved in patient care to provide advice or be, you know, on the, on the front line. So that sort of accelerated the multidisciplinary approach to patient care in general and exposed a lot more people to direct contact with the patient in much more stressful environment. Okay. So then what can it lead to? Can it lead to clinicians perhaps leaving the profession? So that, in my opinion, can lead to burnout, can lead to leaving the profession, and can lead to personal mental health issues, and that obviously impacts the families and everybody around them. Okay. So, you know, when you have highly trained people to deliver complex care that are under prolonged stress when they leave the profession because of certain traumatic events, that leaves the gap that is much harder to fulfill, and that puts pressure on others to step up. So that generates more stress as a consequence. Okay, so what are the risk factors for PTSD? Like we mentioned before, not everybody who experiences trauma is going to take them into post-traumatic stress disorder or to experiencing those prolonged effects. But the risk factors may include, well, whether we witness or directly involved in intense or prolonged trauma, Also, early trauma such as childhood, physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, bullying, that's another thing, or any other form of harassment that can lead us more vulnerable and more prone to PTSD later on in life. Okay. So then, if that's the case, if you have early trauma, then perhaps existing mental health problems such as depression anxiety, perhaps eating disorders. It could be, yeah. That's the thing with having an early impact on children that it sort of stays and sits and that can later on develop into a long-term problem for the individual and people around them. And perhaps it makes them more susceptible. Make people more susceptible, more prone. And, you know, another thing is, for example, substance misuse. If you are either misusing any drug or alcohol or alcohol for example that can make you more prone to PTSD but also as a result PTSD can magnify the problem and also lead to alcoholism or drug addiction so that's to so increases the risk that just increases the risk yeah also in thought- both ways sorry i should say substance misuse increased the risk of getting PTSD but also having PTSD that increased the risk that it will lead to the person needing any alcohol or drugs as a form of substance misuse in order to cope. Yeah, as a coping mechanism yeah, yeah. later on. Also, poor support network. That's something that is around us that can potentially lead to us dealing with trauma not skillfully enough and not mindfully enough to prevent a PTSD in the future. There are also other things that with many mental health conditions like a family history of you know for example mental health disorders but that sort of not always is directly translatable on our mental health issues let's focus on ptsd itself so what symptoms could be associated with it 
So I would imagine it would be having the feeling of overwhelming guilt, overwhelming shame, and perhaps betrayal, avoidance. I can imagine that I don't want to talk, I don't want to deal with it, perhaps avoiding places or people that reminds you of the trauma that you've experienced and for you to have PTSD from it, you you don't really want to go there. I've seen patients showing signs of intrusive memory, so I presume this will be the same when you experience PTSD in healthcare and changes in sleep and appetite. So whether you just can't sleep because your sleep can be very disrupted and you either undereat or overeat as a way of coping. I would also add to it, for example, aggressive outbursts, mm-hmm. because that could be one of the symptoms that may affect others as well that directly. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes it doesn't have to be aggressive. It can be outbursts in general. So I would say irritability. So they're more irritable. Easier. The threshold is a bit lower yes. for, for outbursts. Mm. Yeah. Also difficulty experiencing positive emotions. That's one thing that may potentially lead further down to break up in relationships and potentially problems with uh, sexual dysfunction as well. Yeah, because I presume their libido will be affected as well from that. So what are potential interventions. So BMJ in 2022 suggested intervention strategies such as trauma-related knowledge in general, awareness of it, emotion regulation and relaxation as a skill training, also psychological support from peers and psychologists where three core intervention components were present. Okay, and I think before all of that can be implemented effectively, it's important for you to know, to seek help, to to be aware of it and to be brave enough to ask for help. Yeah, it is important because very often people who have experienced trauma trying to not to mention it, try to sweep it under the carpet to not to relive it again. And that is probably one of the biggest problems with those issues resurfacing again as PTSD in the future. And sometimes we use comparative suffering where we go, oh, but somebody else have got it worse than me, so I really shouldn't complain. And so by doing that, you are belittling the pain that you're feeling and which makes it really difficult in acknowledging. Yeah, so I guess we address it in a not very adequate way. Yeah. Counselling, I think, would help as well. CBT, like cognitive behavioural therapy or CPT, cognitive processing therapy, where you get to speak to a therapist, perhaps EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing treatment might help. Charities, what are the charities that are available that will be available to provide sort of like a support group? I mean, here in the UK, there is PTSD UK, and they deal with all sorts of different trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder, also with complex PTSD and all the other iteration of trauma and post-traumatic disorders. 
And there is Trauma Treatment International. We're mentioning mainly organizations that do not necessarily focus only on veterans, okay? They deal with trauma in general and in a wider context, not necessarily looking at particular origin in combat conditions, okay? There is mental health support for refugees and asylum seekers as well. And the most basic and the first thing that usually, or one of the first things that can be recommended by GP or specialists relatively quickly would be the pharmacological treatment. So what other non-pharmacological strategies there are that could help us to, well, be prepared? I mean, it's hard to be prepared for trauma, but we can, in general, put ourselves in a better mental state to deal with potential problems. So I guess the things that I'm going to mention, it will help more with the awareness and then asking for help. And then after that, when you do ask for help, you will get the appropriate support. So something like mindfulness, where you check in with yourself and see how you're feeling, how you're getting on for the day by using breathing exercises or journaling any yoga that helps you move or perhaps using creativity. So for example, art, music or dance. You mentioned about support networks. So I think that's really important to reevaluate the support network that you have around you and make sure you build a strong supportive network. Yes, PTSD can often take you into loneliness and you know trying to stay away from people yeah in the form of isolation especially when you're dealing with shame the first thing that you want to do is to make sure that it's kept in secret so breaking that silence might be hard if you are telling somebody however breaking the silence in the form of journaling might be a good way to start before you feel that you're ready to open up to others. But I think the the ones that I've talked about are more individual-centered. I think there is so much more that can be done to be more system-focused, where we proactively assess healthcare system to identify any workload and workforce issues. And from then on, we then look at the attraction and retention issues. Because if we don't, it feels that we are always struggling to catch up with the population because there is always constant change in the population health due to different factors, people aging, health inequalities, economic deprivation. So we need to make sure that we are working with data, working with all different sectors and with the multidisciplinary approach so that we can plan for the future much better. So I'm thinking about engaging with higher education, with university. I'm thinking about liaising with different groups of people, primary care, secondary care, tertiary care, and making sure that we're all thinking in one instead of my sector like me saying my primary care sector well it doesn't because people flow with the different sectors and we need to make sure that it's a workforce pool 
that we're trying to plan for and making sure that they stay within that pool. It's very important to retain those clinicians that otherwise may not feel that the stress of the work is adequately managed. And I think that we have to remember that it's not only the cost of treating PTSD later on with CBT or any other therapy or medications, whatever it is. It's also the cost of losing a clinician, of losing a teacher, of losing people who really can contribute to the society, people who do important jobs and whose service can be appreciated by so many. Yeah, and the things that we perhaps forget to add in the equation is the time to train them, but more importantly, the time for them to build relationship with the team and with the patients. And those, if you can factor that in financially, it will make a significant difference. And also the time and the cost of gaining experience. I mean, that's really hard to evaluate what constitutes, you know, a good doctor later on, what constitutes a competent nurse, you know, the exposition to good quality learning environment and good quality team with a great culture in it. That allows you to plan for the future and show that those gaps are fulfilled and the bridges are built for the future. It is our take on PTSD in healthcare. We wanted to draw your listeners' attention to the issue that very often may not be attributed to our community of healthcare professionals, but can be quite significant when we consider the prolonged effect on everybody. And whether you are somebody that is part of the healthcare world or not, it's useful to start the mindfulness activity to check in, check in with yourself, check in with the people that you care about, because majority of us are exposed to trauma. And for you to be aware what to look out for, how to keep track and how to ask for help, it will ensure that you are in a better place than before. Thank you for listening. Until next time. It's about time for you and Reeves. Pachinko by Minji Lee. This is a story that crosses borders by exploring culture, love, money, and status. Her writing drew me in the story and immerses me in the timeline with fantastic detail, as if I was there listening to the hustle and bustle and perhaps eavesdropping on the conversation. It is a story so well written that I was reluctant to watch any adaptation of the book because I could paint a picture in my head so clearly And it is one of those books that manages to take me out of my head and transported me into another dimension in time. And it feels that I am living the stories with the characters. Thank you for listening to the Imperfect Clinician podcast. 
grow and learn with us using our experience and flaws, just like we'd learn every day about ourselves. The best way to support us is to hit that follow or subscribe button. Thanks for your participation in our socials. We take to heart the ratings, reviews and comments. The best way we can repay you is by making this podcast better and by reaching and inspiring more people like you, like us. Until next time. Thank you.